One account claimed that there is hardly a house in town but what is boarded up due to the results of or fear of attacks by mobs. In 100 Years 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're delving into the collections to discover objects that can tell us stories about the past and make us think about the present and future. I'm Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. In today's episode, we're looking at a raucous image, printed by a famous Lancaster company and depicting a scene which can lead us into the equally unruly political history of the city. Today's object is a Rembrandt Intaglio print of Hogarth's An Election Entertainment. The print measures 50 centimetres by 38 centimetres and shows a famous image which was originally created in 1755 by William Hogarth. Hogarth was an artist, engraver and social critic who lived between 1697 and 1764. He became known for his images satirising what he called modern moral subjects. The images he created became well known, spreading across Europe and inspiring other artists, ballets and even films to this day. His works were recreated widely, both in books and as works of art for the home through the 19th century. This version of the print was reproduced by the Lancaster-based Rembrandt Intaglio Company. It was presented to the museum in October 1926, directly from the directors of the company, as part of a collection of 156 famous pictures which they'd produced. We spoke to Richard Harrison, formerly a research fellow at the History of Parliament Trust, to find out more about this print, but also whether the scene it represents had any bearing on Lancaster's history. He started by telling us a little bit about the Rembrandt Intaglio Company. The Rembrandt Intaglio Printing Company was built on a partnership between Carl Click and the Story Brothers. Carl Click, who was sometimes referred to as Carol Click, was born in 1841 in what's now Czechia. Click trained in art before working with his father in a photographic studio. This led on to his creation of drawings and woodcuts for publications, and it fostered an interest in mechanical ways to reproduce images more precisely. In the 1870s, he began experimenting with engraved metal plates to produce large numbers of identical prints. And eventually he developed his own process of image reproduction using copper plates, and this was known as photograve. His new process was able to produce fine lines and subtle tones, which meant that he could create detailed art prints. And he began to sell licenses to use this new process across Europe. In 1888, Click moved to England and he soon began negotiations with the Story Brothers in Lancaster, who wanted him to adapt his process to use curved plates to allow easier printing. In 1895, they therefore established the Rembrandt Intaglio Printing Company to use their new rotograve technique, which applied Click's method to cylindrical printing rollers and long reams of paper, which allowed high-speed, accurate printing of images. In exchange for rights of this process, Click became a partner in the firm, and although he returned to mainland Europe in 1897, he made frequent trips back to England and Lancaster before his death in 1926. During its existence, the Rembrandt Intaglio Company made more advances in printing, including three colour prints in 1905. The combination of accurate image prints and high-speed printing allowed the company to produce prints of world-famous artworks at a low price. It was the first time that large art prints had been available to many of the middle and working classes, 
and the company found it to be a lucrative market. Art prints continued to be a large part of their production until the 1920s when the firm was sold and it left Lancaster for London and then on to Watford where it continued until the 1960s before finally being absorbed into the Sun Printing Company and production under the Rembrandt Intaglio name ended. The image in this print is Hogarth's satirical vision of what an election entertainment might have looked like. So what can some of the details tell us? And were elections really like this in the 18th century? It's one of a series of four paintings that Hogarth did in 1755 under the collective title Humours of an Election. The series was based on a particularly famous parliamentary election that took place in Oxfordshire in 1754. It was notable for the amount of money the candidates spent on the election and the corruption that took place. It was estimated at the time that £27,000 was spent by the two sides at this election. In 2023 prices, that's the equivalent of £4.3 million. The print itself emphasises certain key elements of the election. It shows an election dinner for supporters of two of the candidates sat around tables, being plied with drink, and one man has collapsed through overindulgence on oysters. There's a small group of musicians entertaining the men at the dinner, and it is mostly men who are present, as only men would have been permitted to vote at the election. There are a small number of women there, several of whom are getting very affectionate with some of the men who are present at the dinner. Finally, the print shows us a window and through that window we can see a mob demonstrating outside the tavern where the dinner is being held. We can also see somebody who's inside the tavern holding a stool above his head throw at the mob outside. The mob outside are carrying banners. One of them says, give us our 11 days. This is protesting about Britain's change in 1752 from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, which led to 11 days being skipped. The same mob's also carrying an anti-Semitic caricature of a Jew, a sign of the mob's opposition to the Act of Parliament that had passed the previous year, which allowed Jews to apply to become naturalised British subjects. What we have here is a caricature. As with all caricatures, there are elements of reality and there are elements of exaggeration. The print shows voters being plied with wine, women and song. This reflects the reality of many 18th century parliamentary elections, described as treating the voters. Direct trading of money for votes was felt to be a step too far, though it did sometimes happen. 18th century elections could be fiercely contested between rival groups, and there were outbreaks of violence. However, many parliamentary elections could pass without any contest. In these elections, MPs would be returned without opposition, although even when this happened, there was an expectation that there would still be the treating of the voters. Although the 18th century didn't have the type of highly organised national political parties that we're used to, the political ideologies and groupings of Tory and Whig could be important in parliamentary and national elections. One of the things that the print doesn't really bring out clearly, though, is that the status and standing of different noble and gentry families played an important role in all politics, including elections. Politicians came from economic and social elites. Family and economic links sat alongside political ideology in determining what happened politically. So how did this parliamentary political system apply to Lancaster? And when election time came round, who was allowed to vote in Georgian elections? The 18th century electoral system was very different to the one that we know now. Almost every constituency returned two MPs at each election, not one. Every voter was allowed two votes and not one. But there are other features that were really different as well. Every county in England elected two MPs to the House of Commons. In addition to these county MPs, certain cities and towns returned MPs as well. These were known as parliamentary boroughs, and parliamentary boroughs started to be established from 1265. Lancaster returned MPs between 1295 and 1331, and then for nearly two centuries, Lancaster didn't return any further MPs. The next time Lancaster returned MPs was 1523. 
There was then another break, and it was only in 1545 that Lancaster started its run of continuously returning MPs at every election. One of the traditional big dates in British history is 1832. This was the date of what was known as the Great Reform Act, which introduced a more consistent approach to which parts of the country returned MPs and who was entitled to vote in those elections. Before 1832, what qualified someone to vote for an MP representing a county was the same in every county. The electors were a group of men known as freeholders. These were men who had land that yielded an annual income of at least 40 shillings. It was much more complicated in parliamentary boroughs. What entitled a man to vote varied from borough to borough. There was no single definition of a voter. In some boroughs, the right to vote rested only with those who possessed or lived in specific identified properties. In others, the right to vote was linked to someone's status in relation to the local corporation or council. Only members of the council could vote, or freemen of the borough could vote, or those who paid local rates. And actually, in one or two boroughs, all male inhabitants could vote. What this meant was that in some boroughs, thousands could vote. In others, the number of voters was in single figures. In Lancaster, it was the freemen of the borough who had the right to vote in elections. Going back to the medieval period, the freemen were those who had been granted the right to practice a trade within the borough of Lancaster. By the 18th century, this was still one way of being admitted to be a freeman of Lancaster. But it was also possible to pay a fee to the local council to be admitted as a freeman. So we don't know exactly how many freemen there were at Lancaster at any given point in time, but we do have some estimates. We think at the start of the 18th century, there were about 500 freemen. And by 1715, we think it got up to about 1,000. By the middle of the century, it had gone up again, and we think there were about 2,500. And the growth continued so that by 1830, there were around about 4,000 freemen qualified to vote. Why is there this increase in the number of freemen? Was it because the population of Lancaster was growing rapidly? Well, Lancaster was growing, but that's only part of the explanation. Lancaster was becoming a more successful port and market town. But what was also happening was that more and more people were admitted as freemen who did not live in Lancaster. In the lead up to parliamentary elections, significant numbers of people, often from outside Lancaster, were admitted as freemen. This was at the prompting of and paid for by parliamentary candidates so that these new freemen would vote for them. At the end of the 18th century, one observer claimed that there were only 400 resident freemen at Lancaster and 3,000 non-resident freemen as a result of this kind of practice. That's probably an exaggeration, but it's an exaggeration, not a fabrication. Richard what sort of person became an MP in 18th century Lancaster and whether the campaigns they fought were as corrupt and unruly as the one seen in Hogarth's image. Lancaster's 18th century MPs and notable figures tended to fall into one of two groups. The first and largest were the local gentry and aristocracy who owned significant lands in and around Lancaster. For example Sir Thomas Lowther of Holker Hall represented Lancaster between 1722 and 1745. There are also significant landed families who, while they may not have been MPs themselves, they were very significant players in Lancaster elections. The family of the Dukes of Hamilton owned a significant estate around Lancaster, including Ashton Hall, and the Cavendishes Dukes of Devonshire also inherited estates in the North Lancashire area. The second important group in Lancaster politics was the town's merchants. Lancaster's trade support grew significantly in the 18th century, most notably with the American colonies as part of the triangular trade but also through direct involvement in slave trading. 
At the start of the century, the two Heaton brothers, Lancaster bond merchants who had made their fortunes in London, sat as MPs for the borough. And at the end of the century, one of Lancaster's leading merchants trading with the West Indies, Abraham Rollinson, spent a decade as a Lancaster MP. Many of Lancaster's elections in this period are the working through of competition between these two groups and or within the gentry aristocracy group as different families vied for success. We have records that show that treating took place. Candidates left money behind the bar at multiple local pubs to pay for the drinks of the locals. Candidates provided funds to support poor freemen cash or by purchasing goods such as meat for distribution to the poor freemen of the borough. Candidates also paid for election dinners, perhaps not too dissimilar to what we see in the Hogarth painting. We have a bill that shows one such election dinner at Lancaster involves spending £38. But at 2023 prices, that's £5,500. Candidates sought to have freemen admitted in the run-up to elections to bolster their support of the polls. Frequently, the additional freemen created ran into the hundreds. And we even have evidence that as these freemen were being created, tallies were being kept of which candidates the new freemen would support at the next election. Candidates or their gentry backers seemed, at least some of the time, to pick up this cost. One observer estimated that in 1727 and 1734, the candidates at the elections totted up costs of £3,000 and £5,000 respectively. That's about half a million and a million at today's prices. By 1784, one candidate was said to have been willing to spend about £9,000. Two years later, at another election, a candidate was reported to have spent £25,000, and that's equivalent to £3.4 million in 2023 money. Given this expense, it's perhaps no wonder that in 1761, one Lancaster MP was writing to the government to ask that they appoint one of their family to a well-paid job. And they actually said they needed this because of the costs of running for election at Lancaster. We also know that there are examples at Lancaster of the types of vigorous electioneering that we see in that print. There are reports of mobs from both sides attacking houses of rival supporters at the 1768 election. One account claimed that there is hardly a house in town but what is boarded up due to the results of, or fear of, attacks by mobs. Another account reported that these mobs had almost destroyed the town. So was it this sort of action, bribery and violence, which won people an election in 18th century Lancaster? It's naive to deny that this type of activity played a role in Lancaster's elections, but there are many other factors that were crucial. One was the influence of the social elite. Aristocratic and gentry families had huge social, cultural and economic influence. Voters often had strong ties to members of this elite. For example, they rented land or property from them, or they depended on them for business. And we have evidence from Lancaster that this was an important influence on many voters. We can also get some insight into why voters voted how they did, as we have some examples of the printed literature that was generated as part of Lancaster elections. And several things come through from this. One is the stress that was placed on MPs being effective representatives and advocates for the town's trading interests. Candidates competed to stress how strongly they had supported the economic interests of the town's merchants, advocating for policies and decisions that supported the town's trade. Or, if the candidate was seeking to win election at Lancaster for the first time, they would stress their commitment to do this in the future, and of course suggest that they would be better at it than the sitting MP. The election literature also refers to what we would recognise as political issues. In the 1780 election, adverts included claims and counterclaims about the different candidates' attitudes towards the conduct of the war against the American colonies. Four years later, 
the election literature is stressing where the candidates stood in terms of whether they supported the current Prime Minister William Pitt the Younger or his Whig opponents led by Charles James Fox. And at both of these elections, the election literature includes allegations regarding the loyalty of rival candidates to the Constitution and to the Anglican Church. The fact that these kind of issues were included in election literature indicates that these issues must have been felt to have had some importance in gaining the support of at least some of Lancaster's voters. So overall, while the type of treating that we would regard as bribery and corruption did play a part in Lancaster's 18th century elections, other influences, factors and issues could also be important to winning the election as an MP for the borough. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We've treated you to lots more episodes where we talk about everything from journeys across the ocean to jazz singers in Morecambe.